Full Service Radio is proudly supported and hosted by Simplecast, the easiest way for a podcast creator to publish and distribute audio on the internet. For more information, visit Simplecast.com. Full Service Radio. <laughs> that music always gets me. Always, it it always like I'm always like, oh, nervous. I'm so nervous. I'm so nervous. And the music starts. I'm just like, yes. Now this show will start. Now this show will start. And out. <laughs> Welcome, everyone. Welcome. Hello, hello, hello to the Beauty Archeo. I am your host, Professor Noir, and I am here with our fabulous co-host, Monday. Mix Monday. We are broadcasting live from the Line Hotel. Here in Washington, D.C. Yes. Once again, I have forgotten to take my gigantic <laughs> earrings off before these headphones. Yeah, Monday, we, I mean, we always come looking amazing. Like, this always. is, okay, so right now you're wearing this, like, printed black and yellow top. So it's this very abstract, another abstract floral top with these yellow brush paints. Well, I would say, like, a marigold sunflower yellow. Totally. And I live for a bat wing sleeve. And a bat wing sleeve. Yes. A bat wing sleeve. Obviously, your bangles for wealthy in the spirits. We did this like circle <laughs> casting with a bunch of like new agers one day, one night, <laughs> and Monday went around and like just we, you know, everyone was like doing their simple like ritual and like blessing and everything like that, going to the different altars. And she comes in, and she's just like ringing these bells. I'm like, what are these? Oh, it's your bracelets. Yes, this is how I keep those bad vibes away. It's so smart though. It's really beautiful. It works. It's really freaking beautiful. I love it. I love it. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well. You know. Another week is Friday. Hey, we made it. We made it. We made it. <laughs> I'm so happy to be here. Me too. I just want to get some feelings out. This is the closet clean, ladies and gentlemen. This is the time where we get our feelings out. Yes. Um, my closet literally is back on the floor because I had a big show week. Every time there's a big show week, the stuff just ends up on the floor. And I've talked about that many times. So like ever, <laughs> like I'm booked like four times in a week. My closet in my room just looks like someone exploded, like a, an entertainer, like Millie, Van- not even Millie Vanilli. What is it? Millie Vanilli. Elton John. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Millie Vanilli, Elton John. No, my closet is not full of locks. Like, no. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, just like Elton John just exploded in my room and Absolutely. like just left all the remnants of like glitter and sequins all over the place. It's part of your creative process. It's part of the creative process to yes. just be a mess. I need a couture assistant, which by means you come to my house and you hang up all my costumes. <laughs> And you make sure they're clean and neat. That's what I need. Like, any takers? Any takers. The great houses, the great socialites have it. Sure. They do. I'm pretty sure they do. Absolutely. They, they have tons of people. They, they have, have people. people. They have people on people. Yes. Oh. <laughs> oh. oh, my God. I have some other feelings. Well, actually, I'm really excited because this weekend I do have a show weekend. So tomorrow I'm booked twice. Nice. I'm doing Wood Hall, which is a sex workers conference. Um, Wonderful. It's, like, it's an international, if I'm mis- not mistaken, international conference of... Sex workers, nonprofits, um, people who advocate for the rights and health and well-being of sex workers. So important. It is really important. I meet the most amazing people, actually. I was there last year. I'm very honored because they requested me to come back again and perform this year. Nice. Um, super honored about that. Um, I met Nina Hartley last year, very famous porn legend, Nina Hartley. She said to me, you're like, she said, literally, you're the sexiest thing I've ever seen on stage. Ah. Which, coming from her that has literally seen everything when it comes to sex 
is a huge deal. Yeah. It's a huge deal. I mean, you know, you're kind of a big deal. I, I don't want to think of myself as a big deal, but I try to work to be a big deal. It's just what we are. It just happens. Namaste. Namaste. <laughs> Namaste. That got really quiet. Like, we just, it's so hard being so popular. <laughs> Namaste. <laughs> no, it's not like that at all. Namaste. It's not like that at all. No, I love people. The performance work that I've been doing ever since I was a kid is to affect change in the world. Not for my own benefit, but because there are many things that still continue to plague us. And the only thing we change is to continue to work at it. Yeah, I think that's something that you and I really have in common as performers. Like, it's really not about us. It's about living our loudest truths so that other people feel empowered to do the same. Exactly. Like, it's, I mean, like... It's funny because sometimes people ask, they're like, why are you always like doing something? I was just like, because I just have a lot to say. There's a lot that needs to be changed. And I'm not going to be done until I'm done. Absolutely. You know, it is. It's really just a mission. <laughs> Truly, babe. Um, but then we also, out here. And then also on that mission later that night, I'm going directly back into D.C. Because Woodhall's in Virginia. I'm going mm. directly back into D.C. And I'm doing Gay Bash, which is a really popular drag show in D.C., Monthly drag show every third Saturday of the month at Trade, number two best gay bar in America. Um, and Gay Bash, I think, is like, I think was really one of the best drag shows in America, like in that list as well, maybe. Nice. Um, so it's a really popular show. My, some of my best friends in the world are the ones that put it on and they invited me back. I've done it before when it was at its old venue at Black Cat years ago. Right. And because Anna was talking about this, we were talking about the show last week. Mm-hmm. Um, or no, not last week, the week before last. Was you before last? Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, last week because you were gone last week. Yes, you were gone last week. Me and Anna were talking about. See, I don't even know what time. I don't even know what week it is. <laughs> I, I literally, it was a time warp where I went. I went to Fire Island, so I'm like, that could have been yesterday. That could have been three weeks ago. I, I know. know. Well, this is the performer life: plane, <laughs> bus, train, club, another club, another club, sleep, another club, sleep, another club, another Sing, club, twerk, twerk, dance, dance. sleep, <laughs> sleep. We're doing too many sleeps. <laughs> yeah, way way more sleeps than reality. <laughs> way more sleeps than reality. But Gay Bash is super fun. I'm really excited to perform there. I'm going to get super crazy but you were at fire island last weekend yes so how was that because i was remember telling everyone that you're off doing some crazy fabulous creative project party situation (laughs) on a big gay island in in america in in america (laughs) gay island in america in new york that's pretty much it uh but what was that like what were you doing um yeah so i was helping with a production called spray spray that's where i kept calling it squirt in my head which sounds way worse ew But yes, it's an event called Spray, um, helped to put on by Share Girl, and I was helping some beautiful artistic friends of mine build this construct on the beach um, to house this wild ass beach party called Spray, and all the proceeds go to the homeless. Oh, good! Um, wow. Okay. Yes. Um, so this year uh, we were sponsored by Milagro and a couple other really great. Um, companies that all understand the importance of, you know, helping our dear homeless population, which just continues to grow in this country. Um, so, yeah, so using our big gay fabulosity to support some people that need some help. Spray the love. Yes, yeah, spray the love <laughs> everywhere. Spray the love. Hashtag spray the love. Best believe I was wearing my big ass visor, though. <laughs> I saw you on Instagram. I saw your Instagram stories. 
with your checkered pants. Bitch, that visor saved my life. Well, yeah. It's not, it looked like a really cool party. It was really, Where's, really fun. What's your Instagram again so people can check it out? Yes, check me out at Mundy Music, M-U-N-D-Y-M-U-S-I-K. And I'm always sharing the bizarre behind-the-scenes fun of these wild-ass events that there's, I'm helping There's with. a lot of behinds in her videos. <laughs> girl, girl, so many behinds. I felt like I was at a twerk workshop I like, mean, you, taking notes. You kind of look like you were at a twerk workshop. I basically was. Like, I'm into it. I'm into it. <laughs> I'm like taking notes. And I didn't even know about the dick twerk. That's a whole other thing. Oh, yeah. Welcome to Fire Island. Yeah. That's like a... Like, oh, oh, the cherry, oh, oh, oh. cherry picking dance. <laughs> where you're just like, that is a lot happening. That's a lot. That's a lot of... Always <laughs> 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 oh, got the sound effects for you. That face that you just did, people. She just did like a motorboat, but like looked like she had never seen tits motorboat face. Like, <laughs> I was gonna say that's usually my bo- my motorboat sound, but it was did a you motorboat different application? Were you this motorboating time. dicks? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> but you best believe I was up there with my Instagram story. Like. <laughs> she was like, "Look at this, y'all!" Oh my god, <laughs> it was very fun. You know, I believe as as you all know, this is a fashion history comedy podcast years and i always tell people about this when they're like what's your podcast i was like it's a fashion history comedy podcast i'm talking about fashion I'm talking about history and i love to freaking laugh mm-hmm. my laughter is the best mess and i haven't had a giant laugh yet today i've had some giggles but not like a huge laugh that was my big laugh to start off my Yay, day you're welcome thank you for that <laughs> people i'm gonna be very real with you all like i am about to have a very real moment and get like i don't talk about this on the regular um I'm getting a little bit, I have some chills, but I think this is the moment to actually like say this. But I am a person like many, many people all over the world that has suffered from mental health issues. Yes. Um, Nothing like super crazy, thank God. But, you know, I have definitely gone to different people. I, I give a lot of my, I owe a lot of my great mental health I have now to a lot of different people that have helped me, especially friends, especially yes. people like you, Mundy. Yes, baby. Um, but one thing I did realize in this entire growth aspect in this entire growth journey is that laughter literally is my best medicine. Absolutely. And I'm not saying for everyone, but I know that laughter is my best medicine and I encourage everyone to bring laughter into your life yes. if you don't do that already. And it's contagious. And it's contagious and like it's so funny because like one time, I mean when it really started to get me and I was getting like panic attacks, yeah. I randomly start listening to like stand up comedy mm-hmm. to like calm myself down and I found myself laughing a lot. So that it just like those thoughts were going away, the the pressure on the body, everything was starting to like relax. And so now it really is a big part of my life. Like yes. I encourage everyone, if you've never done it before, get on Spotify, find one of your favorite comedians that you think has always been funny. They have stand up, go on there and just listen to their album in the morning. Like wake up in the morning listening to stand up is the best thing ever. And let yourself laugh about little things as and, well. And it, but that's what yeah. happens though, is that you, you know, like you listen to music and then the song is stuck in your head. Yeah. You have that in your head all day. Listen to comedy because then the jokes are stuck in your head all day. Yeah. And you're just cracking up. Like you just like nothing bothers you. You're just like, because you always go back to that song, and I can always go back to that joke. It's kind of amazing. Absolutely. Speaking of laughs, though, I started watching that show on Amazon that we were talking about, The Boys. Oh, The Boys, yeah. Oh, my God. I'm, they're not even paying me to promote this, but I'm telling you, this show is amazing. It's about superheroes as if they were, like, big celebrities 
where like all of those like movies like Marvel and all sort of stuff as if the superheroes are actually real mm-hmm. and they're dicks and they're crazy and they're narcissistic and they're leches and they're leches and they're wild and like I encourage everyone to watch this show it is so damn dark it's so fucking funny it really is I think my it upset it, it, my dad loves like superheroes and Marvel and like stuff like that and I think it upset him because it, like, <laughs> it was like too it real. was disillusioning because it like demonized the people that were supposed to be the good guys you yeah. know and then when like you know the innocent little farm girl comes in to save the world and like aquaman pulls his dick out it's like oh no too real too real yeah oh my god i know but it's so good though so good. it's so good i'm into it oh that was a good closet clean let's like take a little hot break okay this is a history class kids you know we like to start off with some laughs but we have a a course coming up for you. Yes, and the library be, is open. The library is open. Put your glasses make, on. Put your glasses on. Make sure you have your notebooks. <laughs> we'll be right back. I love the music. Thank you so much for that. It's so good. Dude, anytime music comes on that makes me put my hands on my knees and start twerking, I say, uh oh, my DC's showing. While you're in this chair, totally immobile to twerk. Oh, I can sweet I can definitely twerk sitting down. Alright, kids, class is in. And we are going to talk about something that's quite lighthearted and funny, but it's definitely a part of fashion history. <laughs> because sometimes, you know, like you see another chick wearing your outfit or she trying to do you or, you know, like how like gold hoops were her thing. Mm-mm. You know, like you want to fight somebody. No, she did not. So we're going to be talking about girl fights, the famous fashion rivalries through history. Yeah. Bitch stole my look. Bitch stole my look. <laughs> so we've had like some like famous like girl fights. And like, by the way, it's funny because I named it girl fights. I felt almost for a hot minute a little misogynistic in naming this. I am not trying to demonize women's relationships. There are a lot of sources out there that do things like the Desperate or the Real Housewives franchise, yeah, yeah. Um, Bad Girls Club. I'm not trying to demonize women's relationships because it's not about that. Um, and so, but I, the show and like some of these stories have always are a, a sense of empowerment in my opinion, and a sense of like this is what happens when just people are have power. Yeah, and it's not about men or women; it's just about people at having power. 
Yeah, I do have to say it truly is a thing, though, that women have been taught that other women are their competition. Exactly. You know, it's exactly. so important that we support each other and help lift each other up. Yeah. But I will say this, though. We will hear some stories today about how that aspect of society has placed that that standard onto women. Yeah. And hopefully we can learn from this. And laugh about it. And laugh about it. <laughs> okay? And love about it. Yeah. Spray the love. All right. So, new hashtag, spray the love. So, this is a story I heard about when I was, again, watching some of my fabulous documentaries that dear old YouTube pulls up for me (laughs) when I'm just pulling up on YouTube and they're like, you know what? This is an aspect of history that I don't think you know about, Jason. Or Professor Noir. I I know. (laughs) (laughs) I think they know me as Jason on YouTube. I have to change that. (laughs) And I'm just like, okay, YouTube will let me know what's up. So, back in the 18, in the 1890s, I almost said the 1860s. Well, the 1860s was pretty popular. But mm. back in the 1890s, this is the time where this is the time of great empires rising. Um, or, like, literally, I mean, have already risen. Great empires in Austria and England and um, Belgium is becoming a big superpower, but yes. very small. And so uh, the, the display of money becomes more and more ostentatious. Um, by, like, the early 1900s, you see it at its height. And into the teens, it's, like, at its most extreme. But in the 1890s, we definitely see the rise of this, this show of money. And with this show of money, you see more public displays um, that do allow the public to engage more with with people from a higher rank mm-hmm. into a certain degree. And one of those things is the Vienna Music Festival. Yes. It is a huge deal in Vienna still to this day. Um, it show and one of the things I've never been and one and I've, it's something I've always wanted to go to because go. yeah, I do want to go because you want to talk about a cultural event, music in Austria is ingrained. I mean like it is part of the blood and the bones of that country. And so the Vienna Music Festival is the pinnacle and it's something for everyone. Yes. And which I find really amazing. However, um you know there's many events that go on and there's different parties and sometimes a bitch is trying to steal your look. Okay. <laughs> so this is about the two aristocrats that went wild and how this princess and countess fought to- a topless duel over a flower arrangement. Topless. A- with swords. With just swords. Just in case you didn't hear just that. Just so you know. So two Austrian nobles, um, princess or Austrian nobles, Princess Pauline von Metternich and Countess Anastasia Kilsmanseg agreed in summer, in summer of 1892 to a duel. Why, you ask? Because that summer, both women were throwing these huge events during the Vienna Music Festival. Mm -hmm. And you read about this as well, so correct me if I'm wrong. So, uh, again, this story is something that was never fully proven, but was always written, written about for that entire year in all these different publications. And it was basically like they were both in the middle of tech week, essentially. So they were stressed to the max, both trying to be more fabulous than the other. And it's like, you know what? Let's get this stress out. Take your top off. Let's get the swords out. Yeah. So basically, these two women, Princess Pauline um, and Countess Anastasia, were both throwing these huge, like, big events, these huge fundraising events for the music festival. And they were. They're in the middle. They're at the midst of, like, tech week, basically. We're trying to put, the, to put together these events. And they were battling over... 
basically like which flower companies they were going to use. And they ended up trying to use the same company and trying to get that one company in a full exclusive contract to a certain degree to only fund, to only provide the flowers for their party. And if I'm not mistaken, I think their parties were around the same time, like within days of each other as well. Mm -hmm. And so this ensued this huge argument, apparently, to the point where these women were just like, you know what? We're going to duel about this shit. Okay. You know, if you ain't getting the flowers, if if I don't get the flowers, ain't nobody getting the flowers. (laughs) I challenge you to a duel. I challenge you to a duel. (laughs) So at this time... During this time, duels between men and women between women were very rare, but not entirely heard of. However, um, the duel went down in history as the first quote-unquote emancipated duel, is what it was called, or the petticoat duel, because it involved all female participants, as well as female seconds, who are responsible for communication between duelists and a female medic. Mm. Really interesting. According to the Women, women of Action Network, the Baroness, who had, who had agreed, who had a degree in medicine, her name was Baroness Lubinska from Warsaw. She had a degree in medicine, oversaw the duel and advising women on how on to do the sword fight topless. And so, yes. So when this was written about, it was very sensationalized because people were like, well, how are these women fighting topless? And there are photos that are done, not of the women, but actually models of this that you that can be shown we're going to put up on the instagram there's photos of actual models actually recreating this entire thing it was a very become this huge fashion explosion and um baroness lubinska who again had the medical degree wanted them and encouraged them to do a topless because she told the women that with minor dueling with minor with Dueling, many minor injuries become septic due to strips of clothing being forced into the wound by a pointed sword. Oh, interesting. Yes. So in order to avoid unseen danger, she advised them to remove their clothing from the waist up. Mm, it's safer that way. Also, one thing that's really interesting is that a lot of people don't know is that with dueling, there's different rules for different places. So like you usually see in like movies like the gun duels where like the people, it's like two men, you know, stand back to back and then walk like 10 paces, turn right. around and shoot. Mm-hmm. Um, sword dueling happens with a rapier sword, which is more like a fencing sword. It's a, it's a much thinner sword. Yeah. And so... What it's all about, it's not necessarily about the kill, although depending on the intensity of the duel and the rules, I'm pretty sure that people have set the rule of the first kill or something like that. But with the standard rule in European dueling, apparently, especially at this time, because dueling was also outlawed, it was becoming greatly like looked down upon as well. Like People were not trying to just die for shit, you know right. what I mean? Um, and please, people, don't try to duel for other people's stuff after this show. That's just stupid. <laughs> We're also telling you how stupid this was. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do that. Don't fight over things. We live in an economy where many things are mass-produced. Just buy it at Zara. Yes. Um, and <laughs> just tell the bitch they look good and go get your own. And go get your own. So anyway, so the thing with the rules for dueling at this time was the fact that it was actually about drawing the first blood. So right. once the first blood is drawn... Then the duel ends. But by drawing the first blood, it was done with a lot of small pricks and slices and things like that. So you can imagine that small slice and raw fabric, because we were not talking about like, you know, poly cottons and things like that. We're talking about raw cottons, raw silks, 
where they do fray, those like things can get, and they're like come, I mean, they're from, you know, straight from the sheep. They're raw silk straight from the silkworm, you know, like things are not necessarily sanitized. That can go straight into the skin and yeah. go under the skin and go into the bloodstream and infect and become gangrenous, which is something that I'm pretty sure Beardness Lipinska had seen. Gross. <laughs> so fucking gross. Yeah. So these chicks decided to do this duel at, Val- at Vaduz, which is the capital city of Liechtenstein. Mm. Um, so they came to the capital city in the summer of, 1890, of 1892. Um, they gathered into what people would assume would be the woods, because again, this was just written about in like news reports. It was never... The people who are supposed to have witnessed it never actually came forward and said that this happened. Mm. And then the princesses apparently in like the 1910s or something were interviewed about this and completely denied that it happened. Oh, but shit. I'm pretty sure it happened. I believe it. I'm pretty sure it happened because they interviewed them when they're like in their 40s at this point. And so these chicks are just like, I don't know about this. We're like, girl... You know you was wild back then. It was just, just my wild college days. It was my wild college days. It was days. just a phase. And these also weren't like young women as well. They were like in their 30s or something. Yeah, like they were grown women, which is even better. You know what I mean? So it's even, it's even cooler. Oh, so yeah. in the Paul Mall Gazette in uh, August 23rd, 1892, it says... And I want to quote this. No, a, no small sensation has been made by the report of a duel between two ladies and the high Austrian nobility. Princess Pauline Metternich, the honorary president of the Vienna Musical and Theatrical Exhibition, and the Countess Kilmenseg, the wife of the Slathalter of Lower Austria and president of the Ladies' Committee of, of the Exhibition, has has a fearful quarrel over some arrangements at the exhibition. The affair was regarded so serious that it could be only settled by blood. The ladies traveled to Valduz, the capital, the capital of the little principality of Liechtenstein, of Liechtensteinstead, on the Swiss frontier, a town which Prince Al- Alois of Liechtenstein sometime some time ago offered to the Pope as a city of refuge, a city of refuge in the eve. In, in the evening of what he's been obliged to when he left the Vatican, basically. Um, the, duel was fought by, the duel was fought with rapiers. At the third round, the princess was slightly wounded on the nose and the countess on the arm. They're up, they're up, the, two, they're up the two seconds. Princess uh, Schwarzenberg and Countess Kinks advised them, who are their seconds, advised them to embrace, kiss, and make friends, which accordingly they did. Their wounds were attended by Baroness Lupinska, a Polish lady who studied medicine, obtained her medicine and her medical degree, whom they had prudently sent for from Warsaw to attend the duel. The affair was regarded so the affair was regarded, quote unquote, as so serious that can be only settled in blood, which is what apparently Baroness Lupinska said. Um, and then according to this, according to the newspaper, the women traveled to Valduz, um, and what resulted in two wounded women basically resulted in like a draw for this duel. So there was like no one actually was said to have won. Some papers, it says later that some papers that rewrite about it in like the 20s say that like the princess won, some say the countess won, but I think that's probably why when they were interviewed, they're just like, I'm not talking about this shit. Yeah. (laughs) Dude, I love that it was Countess Kinks that told them to kiss and make up. (laughs) (laughs) Countess Kinks says, just make out about it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I didn't even catch that. 
Ooh, Countess Kings. Hi, I'm Resident the Dirty Old Man. I'm of- okay, new drag name for somebody. Countess Kink. Or, oh, bitch. Yeah, or that's girl. That yeah, might I might start happening. moonlighting. That's I might happening. start moonlighting and just carrying around a, ra- a rapier. It's gonna happen. It's totally gonna happen. Oh my god! So that is the story of the arist- of the two aristocratic ladies who fought over a flower arrangement. I love it <laughs> I love that so much. We have another one for you guys. Um, oh, Mundy, one of my yes, one of my favorite. T- take duels. it away. What? Take it well, away. Well, especially in the theater world, you know, which you grew up in. Which, both of us did. Yes, you know, women are just taught to be atrocious towards each other because it's all competition, right? Um, and, you know, one of the classic stories is when um, Dorothy Parker, who was an up-and-coming, like, chorus girl at the time, but she's very much, like, coming into her own mm-hmm. in the theater world, and Claire Booth Luce, L-U-C-E, I think Luce? that's how you say that. Let's Luce, say Luce. Or Luce, I don't know. Um, I like Booth Luce. Booth Because now, <laughs> now she sounds real dirty. I know, right? <laughs> anyway, they were both trying to go through a doorway at the same time, and <laughs> and and the one said, oh, age before beauty like you know letting her go ahead of her but being a bitch about it and then as she walked through and took that wonderful snide act of chivalry she said pearls before swine wow she went through. hold on so it was pearl or so, so it was- age before beauty is the classic insult so yes so hold on which one say pearls before swine the the younger one that was going through the the one that yeah the one that she was trying to it was basically like it's basically like the best retort ever ooh and this was when again back in like the twenties the twenties forties you know that ah yeah nineteen forty one exactly the forties exactly and this is really interesting too because we were just we were earlier mentioning and talking about and having that disclaimer about women's perception in relationships and how that's perceived, especially in workplaces. But in the theater world, um, that's something that's actually, like, still used against women today. Like, creating these rivalries, creating this sense of ageism within the right. entertainment world. And, and people, you know, we talk about a lot with, like, Hollywood and the whole idea of, like, Hollywood being so youth-centric, but we don't really talk about it in the theater world at all. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a huge thing, for sure. Ageism is, you know, quite and, rampant. Well, have you ever experienced that yourself? Because I will say this, as a male, it's completely different. It is. I will say this, as a male, there is a huge amount of emphasis on the appearance of masculinity, which I find really interesting in the theory world, because everyone's freaking gay. Right. But as a female, do you have you ever experienced that? Well, you know... Definitely as a female-bodied person that was trying to... Excuse me. um, Pardon me. You know, challenge um, gender norms in the theater world where they are so deeply ingrained. You know, I was always either too young looking to play my age or too mature to play the younger role or... Um, you know, not femme enough to be the ingenue, but not butch enough to be the, you know, funny sidekick. Exactly. You know, um, and where I really found my stride in the theater world was in the classics where they would just let me play andro or masculine parts. Like uh-huh. I got to play Rosencrantz and Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead and, mm. you know, um, stuff like that. So that was where I really found my stride until I really decided that I wanted to just 
switch to music completely where I could just create my own androgynous alien character and not have to answer to anyone about it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Side note. Yeah. Side note. I'm going to own up to this. I just totally misgendered my own co-host right now. Oh, I'm going to I'm going to no, I'm going to own up to it. I'm really sorry about that. It's cool. Not going to do it again. I'm going to start wearing a shocking bracelet. <laughs> Because I shouldn't be doing that. I mean, you know, really my thing is, as a non-binary person, um, by taking myself out of the binary gender equation, mm-hmm. I am also encompassing all yeah. genders. Yes. So as a way just, you know, for myself to get through the day without being, like, constantly, like, mm, about it, yeah. it's, you know, I encompass all genders, yeah. you know? If someone takes the time and consideration to ask me what pronouns I prefer, mm-hmm. I do prefer they, them, yeah. but at the same time, I embody the divine feminine and the divine masculine and all things in between, and I own that. Yeah. So it's all good, boo. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and also just back to your statement about, like, the gender roles and like actually like transgressing or transversing that gender norm that's set into the theater world. Mm-hmm. You know, it goes back to that statement of like age before beauty, pearls before swine. Totally, totally. And how much weight that has, you know, age before beauty. I mean, like it is again, like it is constantly reaffirmed that the youth, the youth, the youth is what drives it. The youth is going to be the best thing. The youth is the, the youth is the thing to invest in. However, age comes with so much experience, so much polishness that they kind of just leave it behind after a certain period. Yeah. And there is so much ageism in the fashion industry as well. Like, yeah. oh, you're too old to be wearing that or too young to be wearing that. Or, oh, you're this age and you haven't had children yet. Yeah. Oh, you better watch out. You know, there's that timeline. Well, the, you know, And it's also funny, too. Like, just come to think of it, too. Another, like, famous rivalry, especially between women in the fashion industry, is the rivalry that was created by the industry with Tyra and Naomi. Yes. That one's so real. That one is very real because these two really beautiful black women, one from across the pond in Britain, one right here in America, representing a diversity in black beauty as well, Mm -hmm. but being put against each other. Naomi was there first. Right. um, Just, you know, just because of obviously Naomi was a little bit older. And as Tyra was coming up, they... (laughs) put her like against Naomi, right. you know, and they put Naomi against Tyra saying that like this girl's going to be coming for your jobs and stuff like that. And I remember like, I, I don't hope a lot of people remember that they actually talked about this on the Tyra Banks show finally. Yeah. And like had it out and talked about how like they never actually did hate each other. Yeah. And they actually just never, they're very different types. types like, yeah. yes, they're both African-American women, but no, they're, they're just such different types. They're African women of the diaspora, actually, because again, Naomi is British. Right. She's well, not American. Exactly. That's exactly So right. it's a completely different form of mentality, True. completely different culture, you know, like, and so, and that's why I loved having both of them because they did represent two kinds of beauty. Yeah. And so, you know, like, that again is like that whole thing of like putting women against each other. Yeah. To try to drive a rivalry for what? For like more sales? To try what? to take away our power. Yeah, I was gonna say, like, <laughs> if they were like rivalry doesn't necessarily have to create sales. Right. Peace actually can create sales. People feel real happy to buy stuff when they feel happy. Mm-hmm. You know, like, think about it. Well, one of the other fashion and one of the stories I want to talk about last before we go um, is a very famous fashion rivalry in the fashion industry between Coco Chanel and very famous designer Elsa Schiaparelli. Yes. Um, So Coco Chanel wasn't the only woman to really make waves with her designs by the 1930s. Um, Obviously, as we know, Coco Chanel, very big house, very big brand, 
we know we know big money big money um chanel started and i haven't done a full chanel show which i should at some point but i've been saving it like i've been trying to really do my research to get like good information because there's a lot of information out there but i want to get like the connecting things because there's a lot of jumpy information yeah but just to give you that jumpy information chanel started her house in the late 19 in the late 19 teens 1919 1918 um, with, you know, hats, then went on to haute couture apparel in the 1920s, um, and then went on to perfumes, and by the 1930s, still making haute couture in the 1930s, and sadly, um, becoming slowly becoming by the um, late 30s, uh, Nazi-occupied Paris, mm. and she sold clothes and perfumes to Nazis, but, you know, she was just like, I don't know, people always, like, say they're like, fuck, fuck Coco, because she was a goddamn Nazi, I'm just like, look. Girl had to make a living. I was just like, I don't even want to, I don't want to go into that because that, a time of war is the most vulgar time and you don't know what the fuck you're going to do. Exactly. You really don't know. After watching the documentaries and reading what I've read over about the Civil War, or I'm sorry, the World War II, Civil War, World (laughs) War II show, (laughs) World War II over the last four years, just like stuff that I've just come across. Yeah. And it's not about the war tactics that always interested me. It's about the, the movement of people. During the war and how it just displaced everyone (laughs) in the entire continent. Right. Plus, I'm just like, oh, okay, this is different than what I've always thought. Um, But anyway, um, at the same time in the 1930s, Elsa Schiaparelli was an Italian designer who also became very, very famous for her designs in liberating women. So Coco Chanel, her designs were about a clean line, simplicity, modernity, um, streamlining, um, nothing really ornate in that sense. Very lightweight, easy clothes to wear. Elsa Schiaparelli was the opposite, where it was high voltages of color, yeah. prints, really wild. She often collaborated with Salvador Dali yes. to make jewelry, to make hats. She has a very famous hat that I encourage everyone to look up Elsa Schiaparelli. Her name is actually spelled, so people know, um, Elsa, E-L-S-A, Schiaparelli, S-C-H-I-A-P-A-R-E-L-L-I. Um, because no one ever knows how to say her name. That's why I spelled it. <laughs> They're like, I was like, Schiaparelli. <laughs> oh, she's also Marissa Berenson, famous French actress and like it girl from the 70s, Marissa Berenson's grandmother. Whoa. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the dynasties are there. Yeah, the dynasties should, are there. put a picture of that on the... Oh, yeah. Oh, we're definitely going to do a side-by-side, yeah. Um, and so Elsa Schiaparelli was all about, like, she, like, the big, flashy, bold, experimental, edgy fashion. Um, one of her famous pieces was, again, like I said before, the hand that sits... It's like a hand up to the wrist. Yes. And it's a hat that sits, like, right over, like, the left eye. And it's like a hand that's, like, resting its... It's like someone's resting their hand on your head. Yes. It's really cool. I love it. I mean, so many other things. She created, um, like, denim culottes Mm. for women. Like, she was the first person who did denim culottes. Um, She was the first person to do um, espadrilles. Yeah. She created the color Shocking Pink, which is a very specific kind of pink. It is vibrant. It is rich. It is one of my favorite colors in the entire world. It looks so good on you, too. It does. I love Shocking Pink. Um, People do make that color in fabrics, but it's very expensive, just Mm. so you know, because they have to license it from the House of Schiaparelli. Wow. So, (coughs) pardon me. Woo, I need 
need to make my own color. I know you do. Shoot. You absolutely have to. So as Elsa Schiaparelli, whose styles varied, um, while Coco was all about the classics, Elsa Schiaparelli was doing the individuality and expression of personality. What ensued is this whole rivalry between these two women about whose clothes were better. So... Chanel defined the 1920s with the looser silhouette, and then by the 30s where people were going into a slightly more body-conscious silhouette, longer dresses, that long line, that long skinny line, um, Elsa became popular. Mm -hmm. And so Coco Chanel started to see a, a, a dip in her sales to a certain degree and like a dip in terms of her exposure and what people were noticing from her as El Schiaparelli was rising, and Coco would refer to her as that Italian artist that happens to make clothes. Ooh. Yeah. Oh, yeah, the yeah, The shade of it all. The shade of it all. But also the thing is, too, is like we're talking about two women who grew up poor, who became like staunch businesswomen, who, and also at the time, the, the, the example of business was pretty much only men, where men were fucking dicks to each other. Right. You know what I mean? Like, I would I can I I would be surprised if this was not happening. Right. Where they were like lashing out and throwing in mudsling and everything like that. So um, one of my favorite little stories about this whole rivalry is that apparently, and this is still a rumor, it's never been fully, fully like like evidenced, but like different like designers and fashion designers have talked about it. But apparently at the Ritz Carlton in Paris, like one night in like the mid 1930s, these two chicks get into a screaming match. Like so much that they both had to be dragged out by like two different sides of the hotel. (laughs) I personally would have loved to have seen that. And I can only, and I can imagine that happening. So if people understand something about Coco Chanel's personality, yes, this woman made beautiful clothes, but she was a scrappy French woman. She was a rough, gruff, scrappy French woman. If you ever read interviews about her or see interviews or listen to her, she don't play. Right. And she don't sound nice. <laughs> and she wasn't really nice by a certain age. Right. People didn't really like her like that. <laughs> and Elsa Schiaparelli was just very outspoken. She was an Italian woman. You know what right. I mean? Like, she, uh, you know, she was as bold, her personality was as bold as her clothes. And so I can only imagine them not backing down from each other. Totally. At all. Well, anyway, I will needless to say, um, By the 1940s, or after the 1940s, when the Nazis were defeated, Chanel's house had to close for a while because her reputation was pretty much ruined, Um, especially in Paris, where... Um, the per- where the French were really taking action against collaborators, mm. especially female collaborators. Right. I mean, re- I mean, like lest we forget, they used to shave women bald and parade them through the streets. Yeah, yeah, These women who took on like Nazi lovers, and so and so, you know, like it was a big deal. And Chanel sadly had to leave. I mean, again, you know, with her own decisions, I can't say that she was a victim. And she did escape to Switzerland and stayed there for, I want to say, a 15, 10-year period. Mm-hmm. Um, and she was getting older at this point, too. So she wasn't like a young woman escaping and everything like that. Right. Um, but the perfume still went on, and so it kept money coming in for her. Um, by this point, though, after the 1930s and into the 40s, Elsa Schiaparelli's... Um, whole aesthetic started to actually die down. So Elsa, she was also about the architecture of women's clothing. So she did a lot of shoulder pads, that thin kind of T-shaped line that we see in the 1940s. Mm -hmm. 
after that, now we go back into this very grand new look by Dior. Yeah. Very feminine, small waist, hourglass curves. Ski Pirelli wasn't doing that. Chanel wasn't doing that. Right. And so before, like, as Chanel went away and kind of disappeared during this time, Skia Pirelli tried to keep the house open, and eventually the house did have to close. And the house closed its doors. The house, um, pardon me. Um, it says the house closed its doors um, in 1954. Right. And so after that, Chanel did come back later. Um, in the late 19, in the actually around this exact same time, and it took her two collections to get back, where she created, according to this new look, according to this whole new way of like women being and responding to um, women's needs now in the 1950s, where they were not necessarily just going to stay home, they wanted to do more work and go back out into the workplace. Chanel start Chanel created then the new Chanel suit that we know of today. Yes. And it's interesting because also this is a time where Chanel's Parisian and Paris and European base did actually turn their back and they were just like, mm, it's good, but we still can't get over the Nazi shit. Right. <laughs> but like, you know, girl, there was still that Nazi thing that happened I like mean, 10 years ago. You know, it's hard to and get we're still cleaning up these buildings, okay? Right. Right. Somehow your store stayed up, but mm. we're still cleaning up these other buildings around you. Um, yeah. And it's interesting because you know who her base became? The U.S. Right. So the Vogue editor at the time, who was absolutely in love with Chanel since the 1920s, um, realized the potential of her collection by noticing the new workforce of women in America. Mm-hmm. And that became her base. And actually, it's really funny, Dallas became the biggest... Um, buyer of Chanel. Yes. Dallas Tex in the 1950s. Yes. Which is why a couple years ago or like I want to say eight years ago Chanel did that Dallas show. Uh-huh. Now people don't know that was actually a big deal because Dallas was the first like customer base to really invest and buy mass amounts of Chanel stuff and really kind of spread the idea in the US of wearing it on a daily basis. And that makes so much sense because Dallas has such a very specific style. It's like they never got over Chanel. They never got over Chanel. They still love Chanel. Yeah, they still they love never Chanel. Got over they it. love a Chanel suit. Um, Elsa Schiaparelli's house did close, but did not close forever. Um, I want to say maybe eight years ago, they reopened the house finally mm-hmm. um, under Frida Khalifa. Um, who's a really beautiful woman. I want to say Middle Eastern. She's so fucking stunning and so cool. I really wish she would watch or listen to this show <laughs> and like write me online because I think she's amazing and I want to like collaborate with her on something. I don't even know earrings or something. Yeah. I don't even wear earrings, but I'll do it. <laughs> um, but like, Christian Lacroix did the first couple collections, which they're the most mm, beautiful collections. Yes. They've had main designers afterwards and have struggled, but the house still stays open and they have beautiful haute couture collections and they do beautiful pieces, I think, that still do represent and show the tradition of the house. Right. Um, but there's still a lot of work to be done. Mm-hmm. I think they still need to do a lot more work. Um, but Coco Chanel and Elsa Schiaparelli, one thing before we go that I think is a really interesting fact is that these two women defined power. One defined the idea of a mobile woman in the 1920s, and the other defined a, a woman screaming her personality in the 1930s. Yes. So that is our show. Thank you, everyone. Yes, women support other powerful women. Women support other powerful women. All us XX chromosomes got to stick together. If, if someone's trying to fight you on some flowers, do not have a topless duel. <laughs> Okay. And if you do, please let us come watch. Or let us come watch. <laughs> or just go get them from Trader Joe's, okay? They have really great flowers. Just get them from Trader Joe's. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> but thank you so much. This is a really fun episode. I want to do something fun today. So I'm really yes. glad we did this episode. Um, we, again, we're always here every week doing stuff, unless we're not, because we're doing other fabulous stuff somewhere else. <laughs> so real. <laughs> so real. But we'll be back next week. Yes. Um, thank you so much for joining us. Mix Monday. And Professor Pussy. And Professor Mr. Pussy Noir. <laughs> um, we'll be back. This is the Beauty Archeo, your fashion history comedy podcast. Bye. Bye.